0: Wait. Right. Back in the nook, unhooked in the nook, Terry and Alex.
1: I'm loving it. I'm getting so unhooked lately. Watch out, world. Watch out. <laughs> Woo. Yeah,
0: yeah, I hear you. I don't
1: even know what that means, if I become more unhooked than I'm already.
0: Well, I guess we're going to find out. We'll let like us track the progress of what unhooked looks like. We'll find the words <laughs> to define it.
1: Yeah, you might need a special channel for the show if I become too unhooked.
0: I'm sure viewers would love watching the unhooked become unhooked.
1: Okay, stay tuned. Right? (laughs)
0: We're kind of along similar lines.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Please.
0: (laughs) Well, I, uh, I did some reflecting on some recent recordings we did. Okay. And it occurred to me that... I could have told you this off the air. I could have, you know, what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. But one, because in the spirit of being imperfect, um, going out in the world and just trying things, being human, Mm -hmm. um, I want to continue to role model that. And so I want viewers to hear and see the adjustments we make to the podcast. Okay. All right. All right. So um, I was reflecting and I realized, you know, I started yesterday when we were doing some recordings that I began to approach it in a way that I have in previous projects with you, that uh, to pick a topic that's interesting and jump in. And while those topics were very interesting, quite loaded, I would say that we were both zapped of energy from having the awareness of how, you know, seven, almost 8 billion people could potentially perceive what we're saying you know having that mindfulness it, it zapped us um and it was good conversation and I think there was a lot of interesting threads that were touched mm-hmm. um but I think I got ahead of myself okay and I realized that I think the best way to continue forward episode by episode at this point um is to really kind of pull the threads out from the previous conversation and have a little bit more of a um not a direct shot, because we don't really know what's going to come out of each episode, right? Mm-hmm. So it's more about kind of reflecting back and saying, you know, what? there's a lot left unsaid. We have a short amount of time to cover what's going on. So what are the things that the paths that are really pulling us into the next conversation that need to be addressed? And really, I realize in reflecting on that, that I think it's important for us to lay down kind of the foundation of... Um, At least our perceptions of the human experience, how we perceive our own experiences, how we navigate the world and in doing so we kind of got to really look at the bones of what's what, you know, what Uh every human experiences um, and how we experience it and how we even define it, uh, how it affects our lives. So in the first very first intro episode, we talked about the word should Um, we more or less concluded that it is a word that lacks accountability that uh, can bring you into the past and into the future in unhealthy ways, uh, can box you in. um, And it kind of stands in as the action word, the verb of what we perceive we're supposed to be. And in that, I think that kind of very naturally led us to vulnerability and vulnerability said, you know, it's uh, excruciating and it's necessary it's a mm-hmm. bit of a north star, mm-hmm. uh, not the only north star, but certainly a north star of what, what we're experiencing and how we want to move forward, you know, um, and informs kind of the options of how to move forward in any given situation that we might find ourselves in. Okay, That's a quick summary okay. off the top of my head of mm-hmm. kind of what I remember us talking about. So I felt like the natural lead in to the next conversation was about fear. Um. So, if you don't mind telling me a story, um, that uh, really exemplified a feeling of fear. Um, however, I would like to stay away from um, physical implications. Not to say that that can't be a part of it. <clears throat> I just don't need a story where <laughs> we've talked about the baseball flying at your face. We don't need, to, <laughs> you know, that that was the primary fear. Now, you could say you were afraid in a workplace situation, and the fear there could be a physical outcome of well, then I don't have my financial income and that will affect me physically. But that's kind of a secondary to that situation. So is there a story that you're willing to tell anywhere from youth? Maybe you're feeling the first fear or... um, when the reality of what fear meant to you became kind of crystallized or just something that's kind of visceral that, you know, when I'm talking about this, you like, can't help but keep thinking about this specific story, something about fear where it's physical outcomes were secondary or non-existent in the situation.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's a lot to uh, process for me because It once again, it's going to be how we define things, how we define fear. Mm-hmm. Fear and anxiety mm-hmm. are really, uh, like, so wrapped around each other in 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 my life experience. So, yeah, I I can remember as a child being fearful. Um, when I would hear my parents arguing,, uh, y- you know, I, I, I don't know the uh, I guess it was the uncertainty of what that even meant. I was really little, and you know, all parents argue. I'm not trying to say that that's a unique experience for me, but I guess the way I'm wired, I internalized a lot of that and instead of maybe feeling fearful, I felt anxiety. I felt anxious. I felt, what can I do to intervene in this? Even as a child, I was wanting to take on the role of a a therapist or a, a some kind of a intervention person to say, okay, now you sit here, you sit there. What's going on? How can we resolve this? That kind of thing. I remember being wired that way as a a young child. So when you, when you talk about fear for me, it's, I would feel fear, but maybe not in the sense that most people would, would define fear. Um, you know, and of course then there were times where I felt the, the, the literal fear, um, I had mentioned that I had been an exchange student I, you know, back in 1980. I, I, I lived in Spain, and uh, during that time, the students went on strike. I don't remember why, but I remember not having to go to class. And my friend and I hopped. We had real passes, so my girlfriend and I hopped on a train, and we headed south. We crossed uh, over... Um, Rock of Gibraltar, or Gibraltar um, went into the northern tip of Africa, the Ceuta, and then we kind of traveled um, down to Morocco. And uh, you know, we're both twenty; we're <laughs> not world travelers. And long, very long story short, when we got to the outskirts of Morocco, I really, for the first time, was feeling fear that something bad could happen to me in this situation. Um, for one thing, I saw no women anywhere walking the streets. They were all men, all, all Moroccan men for the most part, um, with the, mm, what's it's called a fez, the little cap. Um, and you know, I mean it, it, it was like night and day and, uh, and unfortunately because of the timing of everything, we were not able to get back, uh, to Spain. I mean, we we ended up having to spend a night in this little town, and um, I really thought I was not going to see the, <laughs> see either see the light of day or um, I just felt such fear because we were just standing out so much. We were young and and obviously foreign and female and and uh, you know we luck we, we couldn't really find anyone speaking English and it, it it just turned out to be one of the most fearful nights of my life and we stayed up all night and we put a chair up against the door and we would hear you know like people walking outside and I it it yeah that it was horrific um learn that lesson like don't get carried away and and don't just do stupid things without doing a little research. And of course, this is before cell phones and internet and everything. And so, it, you know, we were just seeing how far we could get with our money and, you know, with our our ticket. And um, anyway, so I felt really fear at that point in my life. Um, but I think maybe what you might be looking for are some of the other fear. and And I think that, is so mixed up with anxiety for me that it, that I'm it's hard for me to come up with a or remember a specific story where I felt fear
0: well I mean I have to ask do, do you inherently feel like you you know we're not looking it up in this moment and I'm sure there's a technical definition on everything that we're gonna say ever <laughs> um, but do you inherently feel that like, do you have a feeling or instinct about the difference between anxiety and fear? Like when I think of anxiety, which I also have suffered from, and I absolutely relate to your initial story of parents arguing, feeling like, you know, you need to be the mediator. You need, you know, you can do it. And you're like, right. a child. You can do it, kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got this. Um, but I, and I do think that's fear. I think that's fear of what will happen if they don't figure it out. Mm-hmm. What Fear of these fights will continue day in and day out. This mm-hmm. will just keep on going. And it's a scary situation when, especially when you're really young, because parents, especially, are like the first gods that you meet. You know, they know everything, they can solve everything. So if they're arguing, it's like thunder clouds, you know, thunderstorms crashing into each other. I think mm-hmm. that is fear. And I would, am- my gut instinct is to say anxiety is a fear of not being able to control the future or the past or to not be able to mediate the future or past that I feel safe and I feel comfortable and that that's it's like it is a fear it's Mm -hmm. a very but it's a specific subset of fear almost yes you have a different or a feeling about that or
1: um no I I I mean I I definitely agree that fear can take on All different types of of facets and phases and meaning um, Mm -hmm. for each individual. Um, I I I guess I I guess just for me, looking back at my childhood. I mean, yeah. If if I really want to go and define fear, as a a sense of um, dread or you know in the the literal sense of fear being um, in danger or. Feeling I may be harmed, um, you know. We can relate to Catholic school education. I'm going to laugh about that, but I'm telling you, until you've been in a class with a with a mean nun with a long yardstick um, as a child, you may not know what fear really feels like. <laughs> That's how you define fear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is definitely the case that your uh, Catholic school experience uh, informed your orbit. <laughs> you think? No, <laughs> yeah, there is no question. <laughs> this might not be the podcast for those who feel that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it. it uh, yes, and and it's. Okay. This is how life is. Yeah. Everyone mm-hmm. has a different relationship with religion. And I know some of my classmates, if they were listening to me talk, they would be like, where is she coming from? You know, those nuns were great. They, you know, they taught us right from wrong and, you know, and all. And they did. Uh, But depending on how you're wired as a child and your home life and, and everything else that's going on in your life at the time, you are going to have a different life experience than someone sitting right next to you and you know that's just the, that's just the way life is so i acknowledge totally. that yes were there good things about my education absolutely but was there fear yeah <laughs> for me <laughs> and i was a good kid i was not the troublemaker but here's where the anxiety comes in with my definition of fear I would be fearful for the kids sit next to me that wasn't a nice, you, you know, that his family might not have been the best family and he might have been getting a little banged around at home and he comes in class and, you know, he's going to, he's, he's going to get banged around in the classroom too because he didn't get his homework done and he probably has learning disability and he probably has a lot of other things going on. And I know that intuitively sitting next to this young boy that, yeah, I'm not getting the stick, um, but he's going to, and, and, and he would, and he'd get thrown into the blackboard and just, Mm. you know, and Maybe other people sensed it too, and, and it, it just didn't affect them the way it did me, but the way I'm wired i I, I just kind of knew how things were going to go down, and they went down that road, and it you know it, it has affected me it's it is what it is, so fear anxiety it, it's all wrapped in the same for me
0: for sure. it sounds like, and I would imagine this is probably why you and I are very similar. Uh, individuals, or you know, really resonate very easily with each other. Is it sounds like somehow there was a dynamic at home for you that parentified you? I don't know if I'm saying that correct, mm-hmm. but it's a term I've seen a lot recently. Um, and that you internalized what was going on around you, and as a child, you felt that it was your responsibility to. <laughs> take on adult responsibilities <laughs> uh, in a marriage that is not yours. Yes. Um, and that you took that with you wherever you went. And then um, a term that I will steal from my stepmom, who has applied it to my father and myself, you developed an overdeveloped sense of responsibility for everything around you. And, and that can be great. It can You can be the sword of justice. You can speak. You know, speak the truths that need to be said. But hey, you can also be the child who's not able to have a childhood sitting in the classroom concerned and knowing the pain that your peers are going through and feeling responsible to protect them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a double-edged sword, not to bring swords up too much. I don't know why <laughs> that is coming up. Um, but it is a double-edged sword that you can be both help people and intuitively understand the dynamics of what's going on around you, the adults, the kids, everything, but your childhood is taken from you, but you suffer from anxiety, but you feel that you fail everyone around you because you can't possibly protect everyone. You cannot possibly moderate your parents' relationship or save the kid next to you or tell the nuns, hey, you you offer great ways of teaching how to handwrite, but maybe you should stop smacking us around so much. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um that was a brilliant synopsis of my of my life experience. Yes, absolutely. That is it. Mm-hmm. That is it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. I feel like I suddenly understand us our relationship <laughs> even even better. <laughs> I've actually noticed um in the last year or two as as I've figured myself out, I'm frequently seeing who I resonate with mm-hmm. and um, I am sure it will be a topic to be covered. And I don't know if this applies to you or not, but it seems that those who um, had a parent or a guardian or a significant adult in their life that was likely could be diagnosed as a narcissist, I tend to resonate um, with those individuals. Because if you're in that situation, you then you either check out, numb out. Mm -hmm. You know, just totally disconnect or you take responsibility or attempt to take responsibility. Um, And I feel that I have found myself really gravitating over and over and over towards individuals who have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, who have a lot of anxiety, who internalize and who are trying like hell to find peace within themselves. Like a lifelong pursuit, it seems like.
1: Mm hmm yeah absolutely i mean you you are right on about everything you just said <laughs> right on <laughs> that that is definitely my life experience mm. definitely how I am wired yeah uh definitely why things that happen to me happen the way they do mm-hmm. because i do it, it's my nature it is my nature to if I see wrong things, or I perceive them to be wrong, or I perceive someone to be weak or bullied, or just needing someone, I tend to rush in like the the you know care the 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 Superman, the the care provider, the mm-hmm. caretaker, the mom, the friend, the whatever you fill in the blank, and and that seems noble and. And sometimes it is, but a lot of times it isn't because it's not my job to rescue people. Uh, it's and it can hurt me ultimately because the people that I need to be with my that are true friends and you know that really need my time and attention, I may be not there because I am out with other folks that I am perceiving that need me more than maybe the people that really do or the, or the people in my family, my, my close, my super close friends. It's all deep. I mean, really deep. But if I take a step back and just like you did Rev- review where we have come from what our childhoods and you know what what kind of made us into the type of person that we that we both are it yeah I mean it, it's there it's it's whether you want to read it or not the black and white is there it's it's we've felt that need at a very young age mm-hmm. to intervene and to do something about it what we perceived as a as a situation that needed attention, and the adults were, for whatever reason, not giving maybe us the attention, or comforting us, or making us feel like, hey, this isn't got anything to do with you.
0: Yeah, it's one. I in summing it up, I feel like one of the things you're saying is you're a finite resource. And there are infinite (laughs) needs in the world, and we can't possibly save everyone. And that, if you're not careful, you can just find yourself being spread so thin. You're just patchwork (laughs) in existence. And the people that really are your friends, your family, Mm -hmm. that they can reciprocate, that that can build me up. That yeah, they can you know yeah fill your gas tank back up Mm -hmm. as well. You end up giving less to them and there's an unfortunate and i'm sure this will be another topic it already is written down but boundaries you know that is i think at the core of where we've we have in the past discussed i don't know if on this podcast or not but you and i have discussed about uh working on our boundaries finding our boundaries and i think that's very intricately tied in to exactly this conversation about trying to save i mean i reflected recently i was on a walk and I kind of felt this level of frustration about how when I looked at my childhood uh, in school, I often would protect the person that was being bullied, but I didn't particularly want to be friends with them. I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. their company mm-hmm. and then I ended up getting stuck with them and then I felt guilty because I did. I was trying to go be friends and develop a relationship with someone else and I just felt like a piece of crap. <laughs> because. Like, I'm abandoning them and I need to save them. But also, like, I have desires and I want to go do things. And and that kind of, like, looked back on it and was like, hmm. Yeah, that kind of is a simplified version of my entire experience if I were to, like, really distill it down.
1: Yes. And my, my it's funny you bring that up. Me too. Mm-hmm. That would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Stand up for the whatever the child had stuttered and Mm -hmm. then I was always put with the stuttering child for every project and that was frustrating for me I like I I I wanted this person to be recognized and accepted Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to be the permanent partner you know through my grade school years right and and then right and then that's a cycle because then you feel bad about feeling bad (laughs)
0: You're stuck, <laughs> like, crap. right? Right. right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And maybe that gives you a little anxiety, <laughs> right? On top of
0: <laughs> many other things. Yeah, it's a cascading effect over here. Um, it's interesting how fear took us all the way over here. <laughs> Not trying to rhyme. Um, do you feel that? and i know where i stand on this but i before i put anything in your head do you feel that there is um the fear can be a good thing and i mean of course physically if a baseball is flying at your face mm-hmm.
1: duck right
0: right but in terms of more of an abstract you know like the obviously any i think anything taken without moderation can be unhealthy i mean i can't think of anything that really except maybe true actual healthy love but Mm -hmm. everything there needs to be some level of moderation fear taken to the extreme of responsibility and thinking that you can moderate your parents relationship when you're a kid is not healthy but do you think that there is on a non-physical level fear that's helpful or has a a reason of existing that is able to further or or advance or ability to help you navigate the world or yourself?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, there's a saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't remember who said it, but I know it's out there. But it, it's um, it, it's very true. Fear is a necessary emotion. I, I mean, it, we're human, so... It would be nice for us to be able to cherry-pick the good emotions and never have to deal with the the bad ones, but it's the balance, the yin-yang. And um, there was also that um, example of how do you know light without darkness? How do you appreciate one thing without the the opposite? So, sure, fear has a purpose, and... it depends on the situation, but I think basically fear exists to maybe propel us in a direction that we may have doubt about going in. I mean that we we are feeling something. It it is maybe fear. We're afraid. We're afraid to put ourselves out there. We're afraid to you know tell the the cute cashier over there that you know hey you know <laughs> it, whatever um it, that's fear too and it is it necessary sure it is because we are human we're living this human experience so uh to to answer your question is is it necessary or what purpose does it serve i think it that that's the purpose for one thing it it makes us take a step back and acknowledge, wow, I'm like jittery right now. Why is that? And and then that's where that expression, feel the fear and do it anyway. It it, it just might be you're you're afraid maybe perhaps that that you will succeed in what it is. There's all types of fears. And for folks, I think, like us that are wired with a little bit more anxiety and, you know, we're caregivers and we're all that, you know, then you throw fear in and you're like, wow, you know, what do, what do I do with this? Um, you know, so yes, it, fear serves a purpose. Fear is necessary. I would almost say it, it, it probably is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You don't want it all the time. You don't want it in your life. And, and, and when... You go for it, and, and then things don't work out, you know, don't ruminate on it. Just learn from it. Fear is another one of those teachers that show up, and and you learn from it. And the next time, you take the knowledge that you learned from whatever didn't succeed and uh, apply it to, to the next person, issue, challenge. Mm-hmm.
0: So you see fear is... Um... on a kind of a on the third eye, the mind's eye, a, a necessary contrast to be able to see where you're you're going. To be able like it um it provides sight in that it's showing you what's going on. And that way you you can see what's going on so that you can make a decision. But it also then in whether that sights, whether it's introspective towards what you're feeling or out in the world, because those are two very different viewpoints mm-hmm. um, but that it also can be a lesson for you to move to take with you moving forward is that yes a correct summary? yes,
1: yes, that's about as good as my brain is going to be able to <laughs> to calculate today mm-hmm. yes it's it's a it's a necessity mm-hmm. it sucks when you feel it mm-hmm. I mean nobody's going to say, yeah, I love to be fearful, I love it. Right. Maybe maybe a race car driver might say that, oh, yeah, I'm going 210 miles an hour, and I'm feeling that fear, you know, because if I don't make this turn the right way, i will you know, going to crash and turn and all that. I mean, I guess there are certain folks in this world that choose careers and occupations, and they do things like that, or you mm-hmm. climb mountains without any of the, you know, hitches and the... The ropes, and um, you know that's a whole other conversation. And you know, God bless those folks <laughs> that do that. They f- they literally feel the fear, and they 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 go for it. You know, yeah. so that's why I, I can't sit here and say that I believe fear is not a a good thing. I mean, I think it is. It's a, it's a necessary thing.
0: Yeah, I think you're referring to adrenaline junkies.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, adrenaline. Which is a
0: whole addiction in and of itself. <laughs> hey, everyone's got it. I'm not bashing on it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, what, that might be what you're referring to on that one. But yeah, that is based in a fear mm-hmm. response. It's the adrenaline. It's a physical response to the fear. And I I don't know who said it, and that, that's going to happen a million times for us. I don't know who said it, but I loved um, I the feeling the fear and do it anyway i someone said that you know courage is not the absence of fear it's feeling the fear and doing it anyway you know and Mm i i always liked that it's like yeah it's not the absence that's
1: right it's there Mm -hmm. i mean fear exists Mm
0: -hmm. i definitely um find myself in agreement with you about it being necessary fear um in a similar way that vulnerability is a north star, I do feel that fear is a bit of a north star in that see, I used to, well, I still do, but I'm a little bit mi- more mindful of putting a little asterisk on this, but saying to people, you know, if I feel fear, I know that's the answer. That, And then people are like, well, if you're on the edge of a cliff, that doesn't sound very smart. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. And then I realized eventually it's if I feel fear and I'm in line with integrity. So it's not about... <laughs> Oh, I'm going 210 miles an hour in a car. This is the right (laughs) choice. That is not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying if I'm faced with a dilemma and my integrity is in check, which I define integrity as doing the right thing, whether anyone's witnessing it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like that. Simple definition on that. So if, if I feel that my integrity is in line and I'm faced with a dilemma... The thing that scares me the most is usually the right answer. Not now, whether I'll do it or not, I don't know. And I, you know, the whole savior that we've been imprinted to be <laughs> makes me feel guilty if I don't do the thing that I have evaluated as right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have recently really questioned that, based on the premise that wait I've been imprinted to be this person so I am human I'm allowed to not make the right decisions and I'm still worthy of love and belonging Um, so there's a little bit of question mark in there but with that being said I've also found out that I've realized there's another shade to it of of how fear kind of acts as my north star so if if my integrity is in line I'm faced with a dilemma and the short term is scary but the long term Is not necessarily scary it's that short term that is really the key last qualifier of it's going to be the right choice for me now that doesn't mean everyone else is going to like it or agree with it but what i need in my life i'm the only life i can live is alex's life i can't Mm -hmm. live anyone else's life i can't as my therapist said you can't babysit other people's feelings and i have to make the right choices for me um with integrity and if I am faced with that dilemma and in the short term it looks terrifying, but in the long term I see it looks comfortable, that's the answer. And it's just like doing it before I can stop myself, like ugh, jumping. <laughs> this is the answer. Yeah, I <laughs> love I that. Am.
1: I love that. And I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And I, I am similar with that as well. It is the short term because you're feeling it and, you're, and, and, and you have your integrity and what you're, you're, you're about to do it's painful but yeah. but necessary yeah. and right it's that short term you do it and then you're like you take a step back and say ah oh, what did I just do <laughs> I, I hope it was the right thing <laughs> i know it was the right thing well let's see you know
0: my eyebrows are burned off <laughs> <and the> explosion <laughs> that just happened <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, and i think that if you're in an experience for whatever reason whether it's because you've been I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but parentified or turned into a caretaker of sorts, you know, internalizing everyone else's experience and not mm-hmm. really having calculating even your experience into your decisions, and just kind of acting for everyone else except for your own well-being. That that or being in a situation where just you're in th- you're in a state of being threatened all the time, chronic fear. Is I guess what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. is where it can lead to anxiety. It can lead lead to depression. It can lead to learned helplessness. You know, the just belief that I no matter what I do, I will stay in this situation, um, or you know, feel these feelings. Um, I think that like anything, fear in excess is a is unhealthy. It's it's debilitating. It's
1: absolutely.
0: It's not good. But it the absence of fear is also. You're driving blind. You're not making decisions that are informed. You're potentially really negatively impacting yourself or the people around you, whether you you know you have any understanding of that or not without mm-hmm. like fear does inform. So there's, yeah, there seems like if it's too much, it's a problem. If it's absent, that's a problem. But there it is a necessary, just like vulnerability. It's a necessary emotion and experience
1: yes absolutely it's it's what we get living here on earth part part of the human experience
0: right and I'm grateful for it I am I have to say that it it I've had too much of it in my life but I wouldn't I don't I wouldn't want none of it Mm -hmm. either so I'm glad that I feel I don't feel like an extreme feeling about it where I'm like just go
1: away entirely
0: (laughs) You know right. <laughs> that I'm right. recognizing the gift that it can be.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very similar mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, don't welcome it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but when it comes, it, it's bringing a, a message
0: mm-hmm.
1: or a, an experience, a learning experience. So yeah, yeah.
0: And I think the, and I, I believe we talked about this in context of vulnerability. Um, but I'm just realizing some more words to put on it in terms of how it acts as sight is to say that it can put you into the animal brain, the 2D, and then you're suddenly acting from a place of fear, but as long as it's not a physical implication of ducking, Mm -hmm. that you can then use it and turn it into 3D. Like you were saying, why am I feeling this? And I think that helps folks really understand how fear acts as... uh, um, That's the word I'm looking for. Vision. Yeah. Vision of the mind's eye. Vision mm-hmm. of your heart of getting a 3D evaluation of what's happening around you instead of a 2D.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. Mm. Wow. Deep topic.
0: Right? <laughs>
1: yeah, right? <laughs> we should do a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So um, <laughs> I've been evaluating our episodes and I think that um, continuing to um, find um, things that we are we love about ourselves that we're grateful for, role modeling to others, that that's healthy, that's not um, greedy or self-serving, that it's actually necessary. And um, especially, I think, in light of this conversation, mm-hmm. uh, this conversation to me really exemplifies why um, that is so important. Um, and so based on this conversation or just based on things that have happened to you today before you showed up in the nook, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Um, what, are, what is something that you are grateful for about yourself or that you love about yourself that you would like to share?
1: I am uh, grateful that I, I listened to listened to my body last night and I, I went to bed very early, which I am usually a night owl. Uh, or at least up for the news and, you know, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, late night show or whatever. Um, but last night, uh, just was wiped out. And instead of fight it and say, oh, well, you know, let's, you got this, to, you know, throw in another load of laundry or, you know, you can't go to bed at 830. And I had to tell him, I had to have that little conversation with myself. I'm like, I can go to bed whenever I want. <laughs> A grown ass woman, and this grown ass woman <laughs> is tired. She got a little head cold going on, and she's gonna go to bed and get some good sleep. And uh, as you know, I have you know cats and dogs, and even they were like, "What's going on?" Sideways. They're like, "What's what's she doing going upstairs? What's she doing? Turn all the lights off." Um, but they they came they they got with the program. They so uh, yep, yeah, in bed by nine. Ooh, who would have who would have thought? Mm. so anyway that that's my little tidbit for today
0: that's funny my goal is to be in bed by 9 <laughs> and I I didn't go to bed till like 10.30 or 11 oh you wild spinning. child yeah oh I know <laughs> Ooh, getting wild over here but no that's great that you like you're, you know you have this like Abstract expectation about yourself, and then you're yeah, like, uh, that, that no, this is what I'm experiencing. I and had this to remember, hey, I like I'm
1: grown up. I can go to bed when I, it's like, yeah, stop judging myself because right? I want to go to bed early. Right, it's okay. Yeah, who's it going to affect other than me?
0: <laughs> and I guess the animals and the were animals. Very yeah, they, they were confused, but like, they... I guess this is good night. <laughs> 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 um, so for myself. I want to say, let's see, about grateful for myself, for loving myself. As frustrating as it was, and as much as it can become an issue if you're not careful, I am am grateful that I tried to stand up for my peers, for kids, you know, when I was in grade school. And I have to say, it's really funny. One of the things I think about is and I will definitely explore this more on the podcast, but I've also very sharp and, and and very, I have opinions about everything. And I it is something that I have regret and shame around that I would have considered myself a bully. I was maybe quieter because I was in the corner, but I was definitely like felt like I was a bully. And I, it's something that I really, uh, I'm still trying to heal from, like forgive myself for. And it's interesting because simultaneously, I was also very aware of those who, I don't know, if inherently, but showed up with a disadvantage
1: mm-hmm. in the
0: classroom and was very, you know, just felt that it was my responsibility to kind of protect them, look out for them, you know, tell other people to back off. Um, so it's very interesting because I guess those that I felt did have power. Maybe they had less power than I realized, and I was pretty pushy with them. (laughs) That's where the the little uh, went to extreme, and that's when I became the bully. Um, I'm going to explore that more uh, on my own time and in the podcast. But I am still, despite my regret of maybe you know not acting in accordance to how I would want to be, I am grateful that I tried. I did try, and. Whether it was on the playground, whether it was in the classroom, whether it was on the bus, I'm grateful that I gave it my best shot, even if it wasn't my responsibility.
1: Me too. I'm grateful for I'm grateful for that for you. Yes.
0: Well, see, we needed each other. <laughs> Although we probably wouldn't have got along. I was like, she has too much power. I wouldn't be mean to her. <laughs>